Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast, the Notebook Dump Edition. This is where we talk about the stories that stood out to us during the week and whatever other silly stuff we want to talk about as well. My name is Phil Harvey. I am an editor here at Light Reading. My name is Nicole Ferraro. I am also an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser, and I am also an editor at Light Reading. <laughs> and I'm Mike Dano, uh, Jedi Knight in training. Wow. <laughs> Sweet. Much yeah. better title. That's what's yeah. up. Yeah. yeah Mike the Mandalorian. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. Who wants to dive in first? Uh, the one thing that I, I, I will just quickly mention, one thing that stuck out to me in, in, in general is there's a there seems to be a lot of um, uh, broadband one-upmanship going on uh, among hmm. various carrier and cable CEOs. Um, so I'll just read, uh, well, not read. The, the headlines exactly, but uh, earlier this this week and then just going into last week, uh, fixed wireless was not good enough for the long term. That's what AT&T CFO said. Doxus 4 upgrades should be reasonably priced and reasonably costed and all that stuff. Um, costed? What a, what, a, no. what a dumb thing. Uh, CEO of, <laughs> not uh, uncosted. The CFO of Charter said that. CEO of Charter kind of doubled down on it and said that uh, that that it was a better idea to do network upgrades than to build out with fiber. Frontier CEO said that, uh, uh, surprisingly, uh, that that they're not threatened at all by fixed wireless or DOCSIS 4, and fiber upgrades are the right thing to do, and that's by uh, the CEO of Altice USA. Um, So there we go. Everybody's doubling down on whatever network choice they made. Indeed. Um, well, if I can chime in as the uh, broadband broad, as everyone knows me and <laughs> refers to me, it's not just something I'm trying to get to catch on. Yeah. It's something everyone already says. Um, the broadband broad, I was going to bring to this notebook dump. I did. I thought Kelsey said we had it's to real bring notebook. actual yeah, notebooks. That, that adds um, to the authenticity. Yeah. Indeed. Yes. Um, so I'm working on a story. It will be up by the time we uh, publish this video. So I'm not scooping myself here. But one uh, fight over broadband that is sort of indicative of something that's happening across the country and is going to happen a lot more as the bead funds get handed down in the coming years. Uh, one fight's happening in Louisiana. Um, and we can zero in on uh, East Carroll Parish, which is a persistent poverty county, um, where Cable One slash Sparklight in, in that region um, is challenging a $4 million grant that was awarded to Connexon to build out broadband um, to some several hundred homes in, in that region. They were awarded the grant in July, and Cable One slash uh, Sparklight brought their protest um, after the grant was awarded rather than during the application process, which is something that Louisiana allows for in its rules for its funding program. Um, So I've spoken with all of the parties uh, involved. And um, as of this morning, Cable One says that they are going to persist with their protest, even though Connexon is claiming that their data is inconsistent that they're presenting for their challenge. And even though the community itself has gone door-to-door to collect speed test data and worked with Connexon on this grant application and is saying that Sparklight isn't serving them. So the bigger picture here is about incumbents launching challenges to these grant programs um, as they're awarding these smaller providers and these these upstarts. It's something we're seeing happening in different ways, but uh, 
it's something that states should keep in mind um, as they're writing their broadband programs to the extent that they have the ability to, depending on how much their actual state legislature um, sets the parameters for how those funding programs are carried out. So whatever they say to investors, incumbent carriers are always going to be both the largest providers of broadband, but also the largest obstacles of broadband. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that tracks historically. So yeah. <laughs> why should anything change? Um, it's interesting, though, that they're using the, the, the methodology of challenging the grant. So basically, if they can argue taking the money away or, or preventing the money from going to a competitive carrier or a competitive entity. Well, it's, it- it's also interesting because their argument is that they already serve the region, but the rules, are, you know, and Cable One said this specifically, that the rules in the grant program say that you just have to be serving it with 25.3. So they might be offering 25.3 service, but the residents are not saying they're getting you know, the service they need uh, and they can't afford the service that's being offered to them. So um, you know, all of this over a $4 million grant uh, seems a little a little suspicious. Cable One also argues that AT&T also services that region. So they're the smaller guy um, in this equation, comparatively speaking. So we're probably going to see more of that uh, as, as the, as the months go on and more bead funding gets, or, or more exactly. bead funding exactly. recipients uh, get out there. Yeah. I, you know, uh, broadly, Phil, I think it's, what I think is interesting here is just that we are seeing uh what I would say is a, a pretty surprising amount of competition uh, nationwide. Uh, you know, I know we've, we've been talking about digital divide and there's all this money that's being pumped into the rural places that don't necessarily have a lot of providers. But, you know, if you, I think if you step back and just look at not necessarily rural locations, but, you know, sort of suburban locations, like the number of options for internet service is is noticeably larger now than just a few years ago. So we have like, we've got Starlink beaming internet from space, 500, almost half a million customers on that. We've got T-Mobile with fixed wireless, more than a million customers already. Uh, T-Mobile is like the, depending on how you count it, it's the seventh or ninth largest ISP in the country now, T-Mobile is. Verizon, you know, has more than half a million customers on their fixed wireless service and places all over the country. And, you know, just today we published a story about AT&T building uh, a fiber network in Phoenix where it does not have any, It's that is a new market for AT&T. It does not have any mm-hmm. copper footprint there. So here's, you know, Phoenix, Arizona uh, with a third, uh, you know, pretty fast uh, internet provider. And so like, you know, and plus all this, you know, government funding hasn't even really hit the market yet. And here we were already having some like some serious competition from a lot of different technologies coming into some of these markets that, you know, may have have only, you know, one or two providers. I just I, I'm I'm surprised at the pace. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm uh, encouraged by the number of uh, out of network builds and things like that. But I think that uh, well, and I, before the funding hits in a lot of places, I think, you know, announcing your intention to, you know, serve a market or go into a new network is actually, a, or go into a new territory is a smart thing to do because it sort of puts you in the game for that funding. And uh, in AT&T's case, um, this is significant because they it, historically, they've really only followed their, uh, like your story says, their copper footprint 
and their kind of traditional uh, telco outline. And the only time that's ever expanded in history has been, you know, when they've done uh, strategic acquisitions. So for them to just build uh, new fiber in an area that they don't reach. Now, they they did do a little bit of fiber building, uh, you know, uh, adjacent to other areas uh, at some time in their past. You know, I think when they were really pushing uh, pay TV and stuff like that. But in general, uh, they've never really done that explicitly to serve uh, more broadband customers. So you're right. This is this is both new. It's worth watching, and um, I think uh, I, I think ahead of all this funding getting in, this will be an interesting uh, strategic sort of positioning for them because I I, I do suspect that other providers are going to follow suit and start uh, jumping outside of their territory to see where else they can compete, and then knowing that you know maybe there's some financial uh, you know help along the way. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's move it along. Uh, Kelsey, Mike, what uh, what else uh, uh, jumped out to you this week? What's what else is in your notebook, Kelsey? I know you have a notebook. <laughs> yes, I do. I have several notebooks. <laughs> um, so, well, recently I spoke with um, this startup called Grafiant, and uh, hopefully, I'm saying that right. It could be Grafiant. Grafiant. No, it's, I think it's Grafiant. Let's just anyway. do a podcast where you pronounce it as many ways as you can. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of other other places to uh, put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, headed up by um, Khalid Raza, who is one of the co-founders of Viptela, which was one of the initial SD-WAN providers that uh, was acquired by uh, Cisco. And so he's branching out again, he and his team, uh, most of them moved over to Cisco for a couple years. And now they're starting a new venture and they have uh, about 33 and a half million in series A funding uh, that they got in 2020. And the idea is I, I spoke with Andrew Lerner at uh, Gartner and it's um kind of SD-WAN for uh, more edge capabilities. And the idea is it's similar to a Cato or Ariaka where they have their own private network and then they're offering um, SD-WAN services through that so that customers aren't worrying about, um, you know, tunneling in on their own, I suppose. Um, they've got that own private network. And they also have some... Um, initial security partners and they're going to be building that out as well um, in the future. So be interesting to see what their approach is. They're touting it as an alternative to SD-WAN and MPLS, but um, you know, Andrew was, was saying it, it's SD-WAN, but backed by a private backbone. Yeah. I think the, the next evolution of SD-WAN is going to be this network as a service space. Um, it does seem like there's a ton of companies that are taking a position there. It does seem like that uh, um, even the SD-WAN companies are kind of becoming, um, you know, an, an, you know, an all-in-one solution for, especially for enterprises um, to just sort of say here, here's every network networking service you could need. All you need to do is, you know, either install us at the edge or, you know, become a customer in some ways. And then some of these network as a service companies are just saying, just connect to us in some way and we will make sure that your traffic goes where it's supposed to go. Security is applied. Uh, analytics are applied. You can guarantee, you know, we'll make sure that you can guarantee connections, you know, for your customers from here to there. Um, it's it's all very much uh, 
you know, a software driven uh, push, you know, because the only way to do this in the past had been a, a kind of a nailed up network connection like MPLS or something that was more static. So um, this is very, very interesting because a bunch of different types of companies are getting involved and they all have a slightly different spin on it. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll watch that space and, and, and someday I'll learn to pronounce Graphiant. Graphiant? Graf- Graphiant. Graphiant. I think, I think it's Graphiant. Oh, very good. You said that so <laughs> authoritatively. Like right? Yeah, I know. I'm right. I'm definitely right. Good, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Mike, uh, anything from you? Uh, I like, I want Nicole to just be right all the time. It's confirmed. I wanted right. to show you. So before I say, I actually have a, oh, yes. a reporter's notebook. It, wow. it, it's actually a physical notebook that says reporter's notebook on it. Yeah. And I I'm going to take this. So you can hear it. And it now. has oh, news it actually has on the front. It. Yeah, so I think we're done viral. here. In case you thought <laughs> yeah. it was... You know, Heathcliff comic strips or something. No, it's actually no, it's, news. Yeah, it does. It says what it is. It's a reporter's notebook, and it says it on it. And I'm, I'm going to be. I actually have a bunch of them now. And when I wow. take them to shows, I'm embarrassed to take them out. Yeah. Because they Did say, your mommy give you? Oh. <laughs> Nicole said it. She's right. My mom did give it to me. Oh, Mama Dino. Yeah. Would love lunch to interview you, Mr. CEO. Hold on. Let yes. me get my thermos from my reporter's <laughs> lunchbox over here. Oh. And so inside my reporter's notebook is uh, uh, we actually will be some notes from uh, the Mo- Mobile World Congress trade show. I think several of us are, are planning to head to uh, Las Vegas this year at the end of the month. And so I've been putting my schedule together and I, uh, I don't have a whole lot of takeaways yet. Um, just from what I've seen so far, I did get a bunch of, uh, meeting invitations, uh, earlier, uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, but in looking through the, the, uh, show schedule, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of interesting stuff going on. And, um, uh, there's a, there's a couple of interesting keynote speakers, but, um, you know, there's again, again, there's no uh, CEOs from Ericsson or Verizon. None of those guys are coming. They're not on the show schedule. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been doing some surveys of like, hey, are you know, are you going to be at the show? Or are you going to be at the show? And I've, I've gotten a lot of responses of no, I'm not going to be at the show or no, our company is not attending in a formal way and we don't have anyone for you to interview. Um, and so you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes this year. It's, it's sort of one of the bigger trade shows that we're going to go to after, um, the pandemic and stuff. And so we'll kind of see how it goes, but right now I'm, I'm, I'm excited to go. I think it will be good. I I, I do have a couple of interesting meetings that I've scheduled and, and there do, there are a couple of interesting things I think on the schedule that I'm excited about. There's, there's a whole session about, uh, stuff from space. So they're going to have SpaceX and, uh, OneWeb and and some other speakers from from companies like that. So I'm, that's an interesting topic. They also have another open RAN session that I think looks pretty good. I'm I'm excited to attend that. But you know I'm I'm coming away somewhat excited. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of um, I'm 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 my expectations for that show are are fairly low at this point from what I've seen so far. Well, let's see how you do at the blackjack table. Um, the uh, uh, the you're right about the trade show. I think there's sort of a little bit of a trade show exhaustion coming in because there's a bunch of trade shows like CCA, uh, Mobile World Congress, 
SCTE, they're all happening within a couple of weeks of one another. And that usually hasn't been the case. They've usually been fairly spaced out. Um, so I think, I think maybe that's part of it too, is that companies can only, uh, especially with, you know, logistics being the way they are and, um, you know, people taking health risks and stuff. I think, I think people are, uh, being a bit more, uh, picky about, you know, about what shows they go to, especially if they're all kind of jammed into the calendar, uh, together. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see mobile world Congress, uh, America's as it used to be called is usually the, the big, uh, North American trade show, but, uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, any other things that, you know, maybe non-story related or, or otherwise that are uh, in your notebooks or that you ran across this week? Um, I, I can uh, offer up one thing. Um, did you guys know that ceiling fans could kill your Wi-Fi connection? Well, no. What? <laughs> that was a, uh, a an observation and maybe a, uh, a, a an argument that started on LinkedIn. Uh, I saw a LinkedIn post from... Uh, uh, an I think an engineer who said that uh, his his metal ceiling fan was was absolutely uh, killing his Wi-Fi connection, and he oh. had some proof for that. And I'm not exactly sure what the physics are, uh, you know, to do there. He he seemed to discuss discuss it at length in the in the post, which I'll link to in in uh, the show notes. And uh, some people, you know, uh, also gave their anecdotal evidence, which is empirical. They were like, well, I have good Wi-Fi, therefore you're wrong. And, and, and so I, I love, I love the internet. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's just, um, so anyway, yeah, it, it's something to think about, I guess, if you're going to put a ceiling fan near a router in case that was a, a worry. We actually are about to put in like four new ceiling fans. So oh God, I need to read up on this. Yeah. I guess I mean, maybe I, I I don't know I, I <laughs> or or not yeah it could it, we maybe don't know. it only happened to that one guy that one time and he wrote a LinkedIn post about it but somehow or another yeah. enough people I know commented on it or or liked it or whatever and then it showed up in my feed so I wanted to share it wow uh, I have <clears throat> something else that I want to mention which is um uh, I, uh, all right. So he, since we're talking about, no, uh, notebook dumps and, you know, we're, uh, I have a, I have a rant that if any PR people are listening right now, I want, I want you to hear this, that if you send me a press release that is embargoed and I do not agree to an embargo prior to receiving that email, it's not embargoed. You, you can't oh send gosh. it to me and then assume I'm going to embargo it. That's not how it works. First, you agree to an embargo, then you receive the embargoed material. So if you're in the PR field and listening to this right now, that's how the exchange works. And if it's done outside of that agreement, then it's not embargoed. It's not embargoed. My pet peeve. Then Mike's going to print off the press release and burn it. I am. I'm going to put it in my reporter's notebook and oh. I'm going to show it to everyone. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's. I didn't agree to this. It's true. There, there is a lot of one-way embargoing. Of everyone in my building. Um, yeah. There, there is a lot of one-way embargoing going on out there, and and yeah. most people have been kind of. Uh, uh, I, I would say, especially lately, they've been very lax about it. They've just been saying like, "Oh, this is embargoed till next week," and then they've just fired it off with no previous <laughs> communication. And also, no offense, agencies. I don't know any of you. 
It, it's so different <laughs> if it's somebody I've actually spoken to or met face to face or whatever. But if it's just coming from some rando guy in a giant agency, I just don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like you, Mike. I don't really uh, have any inclination to honor that embargo. Yeah, dislike it. All right. I, I didn't come prepared to like lay down the law for the industry. I thought we were just yeah. doing a quick notebook dump, oh, but free. I'll come more fired up next time. Yeah, yeah. Thing, soap from hotels lasts a really long time, and the soap <laughs> from the store doesn't. So if I could just buy the hotel soap instead of the soap from the store. I think for that, you have to steal a bunch <laughs> of it. Isn't that the whole game? You, you yes, put as much that, in your suitcase as you can carry. That's, that's crazy. Like, yeah. Isn't that why you're going like to all these trade shows? Uh, yeah. For the soap. Yeah. That's, That's the only reason I, mean, I agreed to go to this table show next week. Yeah. I'm not a soap. It's certainly My not friend a knows I'm like. Breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a, a klepto about the hotel stuff that my friend brings back the soap from her trips for me. <laughs> and her name and social security number yeah. is four one one. So you have <laughs> so you just admitted to a, a, a soap ring, so to speak. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. that's that's and that's why people tune into the notebook. The, the dirty so business wandering. of soap <laughs> on the next whatever investigative podcast we decide to launch. I don't know. I don't oh, have a title yet. Yeah. We'll come up with something. All right. I think we should wrap it up. I think we should stop yeah, right there. I think that's obvious. Is everyone ready yeah. to do our super cute outro? Hold on. Let me check and make sure I have my lines pulled up. Please. Yep, yes. Here we go. All right. Here we go. <laughs> okay. I'm good. It's good. I'm good. It's happening now. Three, two, one. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. We did it. <laughs> oh, sorry. That wasn't on the thing. Oh, darn it. I don't think Nicole really wants anyone to have a great Went weekend. I want everyone to have a great weekend. I just don't, I think like by the time this is published, like 400 calamities could happen in the world at large. And then it's embarrassing that I said, have a great weekend. You know? you're, you're way too positive. What a, yeah. Really yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, sunshine. Appreciate it. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's enough. <laughs>